Our scripture passage today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Really good to be here with you, sharing God's word. Um, I don't know about you, but there's so many things that can go through one's mind when you read a passage like this, the one that it was just read to us. And I personally get super excited, but I get normally excited about anything pretty much. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, um, when you read a passage like that, you can miss, you can think that you're missing something. Um, and you start to compare in that community uh, with the one that you're in, whether you're part of this church or you come from another church, you start thinking about your own church experience, you know? And at the same time, we can get also get caught into the uh, currents of criticism, dissatisfaction, and also setting ourselves on a journey to find the perfect community. Because no matter where you come from, we all long for community. We all long for that. And we have ideas and experiences about that. And especially in the world that we live today, that we can be so isolated. And you know, this season that we just went through uh, explains some of that. Um, but this morning, I would like to point out a few elements that made that newborn community in Acts attractive and effective, and how God used simple men and women so passionate and driven for Jesus to faithfully become witness of the gospel. But before I start, I would like to ask you to join me in prayer, please. Father, I pray that, and I ask that your spirit will be evident, tangible among us this morning. I pray that um, this word will find place in my brother and sister's hearts. That um, I pray also for wisdom and guidance, Lord, as I as I work in a second language, that I will be clear enough to communicate um, the message that you have given me. Um, 
I'm here trusting you, depending on you. So I just pray that you will give me your peace as I do, as I share this morning. Thank you for what you're doing here among us and us, through us. Whether we see it or not, you're always working, always moving. We trust you and we love you. In Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. And um, our text this morning uh, follows um, a description of the response caused by the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost in the first apostolic sermon preached by Peter, as we've been going through the book of Acts the past couple of weeks. And this sermon focused on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Acts chapter 2 describes the fulfillment of the promise given by Jesus of the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost, and also the theological explanation given by Peter about that event, but also the birth of a community empowered by the Spirit and their call to be witness of Jesus, and the message of reconciliation, the reconciliation and the healing and the restoration of the world in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is also interesting to notice that the events of Pentecost resemble, in a way, the events that took place in the Tower of Babel, but in reverse. Because now, instead of scattering people, God gathers people to them and calls them to him. Instead of confusing their language, they were able to communicate and understand the message in their own languages. Instead of making a name for themselves, now they carry a message that is bigger than them and needs to make the name of the Lord known over the face of all the earth, proclaiming the mighty words of God that brings people from isolation into a relationship with him and from captivity to freedom. He's calling people into a new covenant. And that covenant is marked by the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the arrival of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. As we know, as we read today, on that day, 3,000 people received Peter's message, were baptized, and became part of that community of believers in Jerusalem. Also, Jesus' declaration in Acts 1.8 was fulfilled regarding the coming of the Spirit when he said that they will receive power and they will be his witness. The coming of the Holy Spirit was not, was not an end on itself, and rather was for the common good of the community and for God's glory. It was God's promise, gift, to empower his people to become a passionate community of witness for his name and to bless all the nations of the earth. Just like Jesus promised in John 15, 6, that the spirit of truth will bear witness about him. And bearing witness and, te and, giving testimony, and give testimony about Jesus was the compelled action of the spirit and the love of the apostles, the community of believers in Acts at Pentecost, and that also should be appealing to us today. And I will be making a few observations from the last verses in chapter 2 and the description Luke has given us about the community of believers and some of the distinctive markers of a spirit-empowered led community of faith. It is essential to mention that in the book of Acts, we need to discern when the narrative is descriptive and when it's prescriptive. In recognizing the difference, I believe we'll find ourselves receiving a broader perspective about our understanding about the church, how to love one another also in a way that honors and represents Christ and the good news of the gospel. And the first thing that we notice that is that the community was devoted. In response to Peter's sermon, the community went from 120 to 3,000. 
And we're not going to try to figure out how those 3,000 were baptized and where it took place. But what we know is that the response to, to the response of Peter's message, 3,000 came to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and the response was massive. Right away in verse 42, Luke tells us that the new members of the community devoted themselves to four core elements. The teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and prayers. This is in words of René Padilla, a Peruvian uh, missiologist. He said that this was an ideal portrait of the life and the mission of the church in a certain moment in his collective pilgrimage. And their devotion here describes something that was happening continually. They had a constant devotion and perseverance towards God's word, the members of the community, their meals, but also their prayers. That kind of focal devotion was only possible through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. And that is the kind of devotion that we're going to observe as we move through the book of Acts. What we observe in these first passages is a description of lives that have been impacted by the gospel and the move of the Holy Spirit that led them through a journey of transformation that now is going to affect their understanding about God, their priorities, their allegiances, their devotion, the way they live, and the way that they relate to one another. And also to give them perspective, perspective to the many challenges and obstacles they're going to be fa facing in that journey that they're on now. I want to emphasize that this devotion was only possible in total dependence of God through the Holy Spirit's work. Now, the four practices described by Luke don't seem to be all optional, occasional, or items from a selection list that the believers got to choose. Those were foundational. They couldn't be partially devoted to some things and disregard the others. The four core elements that define the community were, in a way, their DNA. And that DNA was already embedded in the life of the apostles, something that they learned during those three years with Jesus. And now, it is also shaping the lives of the believers and the community in Jerusalem. Let's briefly look into these core four practices described by Luke from the believing community in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ was the foundation of their message. Teaching the Word of God was central for the apostles and the community of believers. And we don't have a detailed description of the elements the apostles covered when they thought the community. Still, we can be confident that that included the good news of the kingdom of God, who Jesus was, his incarnation, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. What is clear is that they devoted and committed themselves to the Word of God. Luke chapter 2 provides an idea of what could have been some of these elements the apostles cover in their teaching by the description of Jesus' encounter with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this is after his resurrection. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning about himself. So the message was about him, about Jesus. Something similar happens when he appeared to the disciples at the beginning of Acts in chapter 1 where Luke describes the centrality of the message around Jesus and the kingdom of God. We observe the same elements of, or patterns and devotion to the centrality of Jesus and his message in the following chapters as well. The believers were also devoted to fellowship. And to describe the devotion the community had towards each other, Luke uses the word koinonia, and I'm pretty sure you know that word. That word communicates a spirit of mutual participation, reciprocity, and also contra in, contra in contrast with the spirit of greediness, selfishness, and dissatisfaction that operates in this world. It also portrays elements of the Trinitarian communion that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had since eternity past. 
He gives testimony of what they share and how they glorified each other. In the case of the community, that fellowship displayed a spirit of unity in what they have in common, which is their salvation through Jesus. And at the same time, the communion they had with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit now. And second, he portrays what they share among each other. That is what they were able to give because of what they already received. And that is only possible, again, through the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The deep sense of fellowship they had was also expressed around food. Breaking bread refers to the meals they will share where the Lord's Supper was celebrated. What enhanced the communal meal was the celebration of the Lord's Supper, where they remembered the cause of what made it possible for them to be seated around the table in the first place. Imagine the sentiment, the level of intimacy and devotion and commitment that they had with the Lord through the Spirit, but also with one another. The Lord's Supper was sacred, and it was a moment to remember the love God displayed through Jesus in the cross. But also how Jesus was present during that celebration, now through the Spirit and the life of each believer. The community of believers was committed to the Lord through their prayers as well. Prayers that denoted total dependence on him and prayers that saw the will of God for their lives, but also for the members of the community. They needed to be heard by God, and God was ready to respond and act. That's what the disciples learned from Jesus, a level of intimacy and dependence on God as Father. Now they can engage in, an, in a conversation, direct conversation with the Lord of the universe, the one who dwells in an approachable light, the one that can be called Father now. The intimacy they currently have with God through their prayer was made possible only through Jesus, and it was kept and sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit. I started this morning by saying that you can't avoid thinking about the church if you care for the church. But also through the lives of your own experience when you read a passage like this. Whether you have good or bad experiences, we all have our own preconceptions about church. And through the, through the lenses of a passage like this, our response could be to consider things that the church could do better and things that is missing, and, and that's okay. There are many things that we can do better, for sure. But also to consider that community, a community like this was only possible there, but not here today. Sometimes our expectations and personal desires can affect our approach in the way we see, approach, and experience church life. I'm not saying don't have expectations. What I'm trying to say is that we all need to have the right expectations. But I think there's a more significant factor that contributes to, to, towards our misconceptions about the church. And that can cause us to experience frustration and dissatisfaction with the church, but also with one another. And that is uh, you and me. That is ourselves. It's still, overall, a lack of devotion is at the core of our struggles. Our lack of devotion is at the core of our struggles. This morning's passage provides us, in a way, a description of a, or a checklist of sorts of the essential and foundational characteristics that, the, that a church should have to exist and to properly care for the believers. But also, what is required from the believers? And I want to suggest that these four characteristics are the DNA that a community of faith should have anywhere, whether the community gathers in a building like this, underground, at a home, these are four things that are essential in the life of a church. And the first need that we all have, every believer has, have, is theological. 
This doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't care about our physical or emotional needs because he does. But first, he wants to deal with our hearts and the understanding we have about him. So he wants to give us a clear idea of who he is. So we need instruction and knowledge about the presence of God. Our devotion should be to God, his word, and to love and understand the one that we confess as Lord, the one that we're here adoring this morning, and the one that we're, the one that we're called to proclaim. The Lord is first concerned with the reality of our human condition. That reality, when undealt, conditions our participation with him in eternity. He wants to be known, loved, and experienced, but it starts with who he is and what he reveals about himself in scripture. The church is then called to care for the believers through a Christ-centered proclamation of the word. Our second need is community. Our understanding of scripture, our understanding about scripture, excuse me, or our knowledge about it, and the maturity we claim to have as believers is best displayed publicly in how we relate, love, serve, and care for believers and those outside of the family of faith. We must be intentional in having time to meet each other's needs and how also we face the challenges of life together. We are not meant to be on this journey by ourselves. Through the Spirit, Christ is manifested among us, and we are with him. Third, churches should also have a place to celebrate what Christ has given, and we have also at the same time received, and that is our salvation. When we break bread, we're also reminded that our satisfaction, satisfaction and needs are partially met, and that one day our joy will be completed, and that will be fully met and satisfied. Our need for intimacy is also met when we celebrate communion, understanding that we now have fellowship with him and with one another through his presence. At the table, Jesus is both the host, the servant, the meal, and we are his guest. And the last element is prayer. Like the early church, we need to understand that we cannot face the challenges of this life in the world in our own terms and capacity. We can't, and the truth, is, the truth is we don't have to. We need to be met by God in prayer before we can face the world. And that's what Jesus did. He was fully dependent on God through the Spirit and prayer. If we don't have a clear understanding of who and what are we devoting ourselves to, it's going to be hard and nearly impossible in our own strength to have a flourishing and healthy relationship with God, with others, and also with the church. We must devote ourselves, and that can only happen through the work of the Spirit in our lives. If we observe these core practices as an act of worship and we devote ourselves to the Lord, we should look more like the one we worship because we become like the one that we worship. God had a plan since the beginning, a vision for the church, where he determined with pre-established parameters of what the church should be. When we don't have a healthy and biblical understanding of the church, that lack of knowledge can lead us into one and expect something that the church is not. It will affect how we relate to each other, and it will jeopardize our witness significantly. The world outside wants to see how what we claim we believe looks in our own lives and in the way that we love and care for each other. The message and the messenger must be connected, but we need to be devoted to the Lord. 
We're called this morning to filter our perceptions and experiences and understanding through biblical, the biblical lenses of God's revelation and to devote ourselves to the work of the Spirit in our lives. We must understand that the church, the church is not an ideal or an utopian human construct reality. It cannot be accessed and defined by mere human and futile efforts because if that's the case, we're going to be very uh, frustrated and unsatisfied members at any church we go, at any place. You and I must observe the church through the lenses of the work of the Spirit because the church is both divine and eternal. After all, it was conceived, born, and established in the heart of God himself in eternity. And the description Luke has given us about this community of faith, about the church, and our call for devotion must be taken seriously. Let me read what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, pastor and theolog German theologian, said along these lines. He said, One who wants more than what Christ has established does not want Christian brotherhood. He is looking for some extraordinary social experience which he has not found elsewhere. He is bringing model and impure desires into, into Christian brotherhood. The four elements the community in Acts had were seasoned with and for eternity. And what we observe in these verses is a description of the lives of the newborn members of God's community, a community that mirrors partially into what the new creation is going to be. So the community was devoted, and the community was also effective and influential. The move of the Spirit in that devoted community calls everyone to have a reverent fear of God and it's not the kind of fear that paralyzes, but the type that causes people to awe and to be amazed and to wonder because of the evidence of the power of the Spirit working in that place. There is a lot of debate regarding the signs and wonders performed by the apostles and many divided, divided opinions about that. I personally believe that God is all powerful and mighty and he can do anything he wants. He can deal, restore, set free anyone if he decides to do so, if he pleases to do so. And I'm pretty sure you, you will agree with that posture. But remember what I said, that we need to discern when Luke is prescribing or describing a narrative. In his first volume, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, we read all the many signs and wonders Jesus performed that were attesting to the reality of the kingdom of God here on earth. And also how they were pointing to the inauguration of the kingdom and confirming Jesus as his messianic king. And I think this is the case here in Acts. These signs were pointing to the healing and the restoration of the world, announcing that the kingdom is here and now, but not entirely. Now, this is not to say that God doesn't perform miracles, because he does. He continues doing that. But miracles here are not a prescriptive characteristics of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. In other words, the presence of the Spirit in a community of faith cannot be conditioned on the presence or the absence of miracles, signs, and wonders. But again... I believe that miracles and wonders still happen today in the life of the believers and in the church. And I don't have enough time to share some of my own, um, but maybe another time. Also, their faith in Jesus led them to have and experience a deep sense of unity. And the unity here meant to be together and have all the things in common. They were committed, devoted to the community and to one another. And as someone described it, in sharing Christ, they also gave themselves. But how such a large group was able to maintain and sustain that unity? And I think that unity that I experienced was more than sharing a physical space. What is super important 
Still, I, it was also spiritual because that reality sustains and transcends the physical space without losing their unity. Only the supernatural work of the Spirit made it possible in the same way that we're gathered today, we're also united to the members of the global church. And that's only through the Spirit that we can do that. That unity was also visible and demonstrated in their joyful generosity and the love for one another as they were freely given, as they worshiped together, as they spent time together, as they were praying together. All these are part of joyful acts of worship. They were given and not taken, and in doing that, the Lord was being praised and glorified. They were sacrificially caring and loving for the community and its members. This is how their devotion to the Lord, to his word, to fellowship, to communion and prayers was expressed. Their devotion was evident and effective. They proclaimed outwards what was taking place inside their lives, in their hearts. In other words, they were living out their devotion for the Lord and for one another. They remained faithful believers without separating themselves from their context and Jewish heritage. They had a genuine concern for the members of the community, especially the most vulnerable, and they also expressed gratitude, contentment, satisfaction, and generosity. The community was known and had a reputation. They were not only, they didn't only look good, but they were actually good. Their reputation impacted their lives, and their lifestyle was so appealing and attractive that they found favor with others outside of their community. God honored that by making the church grow in number with those who believe the gospel. And the Spirit got to reproduce and grow what they believe. They reap what they saw. They had clear priorities. They understood what was essential, and they devoted themselves to those priorities, and the Lord did the rest. It was simple, apparently. They were not concerned about strategies or growing mechanisms. They were just devoted to what God called them to be, what he asked for them. They didn't lose sight of what was important. They received the vision, direction, and got to experience growth by the power of the Spirit. Everything they were doing was not under the name of the community, of the name of the apostles. It was done under the name of Jesus. And the Spirit kept working in their lives and here we're reading a description of the first community of believers inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. And the only way for us to comprehend, to understand how community like this came into existence, to grasp its notion, it can be done by faith only. And we cannot receive that notion or believe it or perceive it or access it through our own physical and intellectual capacity only. It requires that and the other means the author had access when he wrote to describe what was happening. And that was faith. And that was the work of the Spirit in his life. He required his devotion. And that, can only, and that can only be granted by the word of the Spirit in the life of a willing believer. I said before, the church is divine and eternal because it was conceived in the heart of God. And that also po uh, points towards eternity. If we're not devoted to that reality, there's a big chance we will feel dissatisfied with the church and with one another. In other words, our approach to church will be limited. The world and its prints are busy trying to get us devoted to a mirage of a, futile, of a futile dream. In the same way the heavens and the earth intersected each other in the ascension of Jesus, the spirit-empowered community represents the eschatological kingdom that burst into our world 2,000 years ago. The biggest challenge we have in our individualistic world today is that we want to experience that kind of impact 
described by Luke, the fellowship, unity, love, care, compassion, and all our needs met, but without devoting ourselves. We want to enjoy the benefits without being involved. Instead of asking ourselves what the church has to offer, we should ask instead, what can we bring? What do we have to offer? Because each one of us in this room has been given something by God to be offered. Instead of thinking like consumers, we should think like servants and have a worshiper-driven attitude that touches every part of our lives and others. If we claim to know Jesus, Philippians 2 should be a reference in our lives. This is how someone described the individualistic and self-centered approach that some have towards the church today. In our impatient culture, we want to experience biblical awe without biblical devotion. At the core of our dysfunction is not necessarily style or structure, but a lack of devotion. So to have an impactful and effective community requires that we all devote ourselves to the Lord and to one another. And that, again, can only happen through the work of the Spirit in our lives. Luke is painting for us a picture that describes the compelling devotion of the believers of the first century and the impact they had. He's telling us how we should look like in terms of priorities, how to respond, how to love, how to care, how to serve, and how we all should believe in the gospel. But he's not prescribing how we should be doing church and what programs we should have. It's more about being because that is going to be visible in everything we say and everything we do. And I'm going to spare a few minutes right now. You can just bear with me. There's a story that I didn't get to share in the first uh, service because I was going too fast. And... Uh, <laughs> My wife was wondering, so, and I'm going to try to connect it. I'll do my best. But actually, it's just for the sake of sharing the story. Um, so this is in regards to how, how I've seen the spirit moving in my own life. And that was many years ago in the Middle East is one of the stories. And um, it is almost the end of Ramadan. And uh, at that point, I've been having conversations with a taxi driver um, and um, he um, got to tell me that he uh, believed everything that it was written in the Bible and that he wanted to invite me to his house to break fast with him. And I said, yes, okay, I'll, I'll come. So I never went alone. I had a ministry partner uh, from another organization. We were good friends. And I asked him if he wanted to come with me. He said yes. So I remember that day getting ready. But I was actually tired. Um, we used to fast the whole month, all those years that we were there. And at the end of Ramadan, um, it's also spiritually heavy too, and I'm tired. I don't, I don't really want to go. Um, so I'm ready to call this guy and say, I'm, I don't want to go. Um, but God just reminded me that I was committed to that. So, okay, this is what we're here for. I'm going to go. So I also have this urge just to put a Bible in my car, and, and that I did. And um, I picked up my friend, and then we drove 45 minutes away from our city into a village. Uh, we arrived, my friend met us at the door, and he says, we're not going to eat here. We're not going to break fast here today. Surprise, we're going to go somewhere else. And I thought to myself, oh, this is interesting, okay? So we got in the car, and I started driving, and then he said, you have to get off-road right here. So I got off-road, and off-road was off-road. There was nothing there. 
no streets, anything. And then it was like a 15, 20 minutes into the unknown. And I, I was anxious. <laughs> where, where are we going? What's going to happen? So I think my friend was feeling the same. We finally arrived to our relief. And um, we were met in this place at his, uh, by his uncle, my friend's uh, uncle. And, um, you know, and so we w walk into the home. And um, the tradition is to break fast, a uh, cup of tea, dates, and then, you know, eventually we eat. So, um, so we're sitting right there, we're drinking tea and eating dates, and right away, I mean, the uncle was just waiting for us to come. You know, he started just attacking uh, our faith and, and all this. So what happened most of the times that, in the case of my friend, when you don't have, you as a Muslim don't have all the answers, you will find someone else who will help you, you know. And I guess my friend didn't want it to shame me, and so he got to say that he believed everything. So anyway, we're there. They're attacking. And this is what happened, seriously. Um, you're probably going to reason while I'm sharing this and explain every detail, you know, what could have caused that, but this is how it, how it happened. So they were attacking, attacking the faith, attacking Jesus, and just denied everything that we hold dear and that we value. So I feel like I needed to stand, which I did. We normally would be sitting in the room. And as I'm standing, I feel this theme burning inside. So uh, I don't know if it was the tea or the dates, but that's how it felt. <laughs> All right? Come with me. And then, that's the first thing. And then power went off, OK? Just to put a little bit of drama. Power went off. And then, I'm, OK, so yeah, that can happen often, especially in that country, you know, long power outages. But then this wind came into the room, OK? The windows were open, and the breeze came in, OK? Anyway, I just did, and I stood up, and I started to just witness to these three guys. And the moment that I spoke, they were just quiet and listening the whole time. Never happened. No one wants to listen to me. So anyway, <laughs> uh, what my kids don't do, pray for them. <laughs> so I'm doing all this, right? And uh, I, ju I remembered, I mean, the whole transition into that moment, and then what I said is like, um, I want to pray for us because I believe that what is written in the Bible is true and that God is ready to reveal himself to you all and they were just listening. So I, they, they allow me to pray and then as I'm finishing, power came back, you know, lights on, the wind stopped and I didn't feel the, you know, whatever the tea caused. Um, and that's it. We ate um, and... Um, we're about to leave like two hours after, and the uncle came to me, called me on the side and said, hey, you know, I've been, I've been wanting to read a Bible. By any chance, do you have one? And I said, yes, I do. So I gave him the Bible. Um, I don't know what happened to him, you know. We left, drove my friend in his village, and I was just driving and kind of like commenting with my friend what happened. And, and he said, dude, I was in that corner just praying for you when that was happening. And there was something going on. He said, let me ask you this. When did you learn all those words? Because we were part in the same class, you know, studying together. Where did you learn all those words? What do you mean? He says, you were use, using a lot of the spiritual words that I don't, I mean, I'm assuming they're spiritual, but it's not. He says, do it. I don't know. I just feel compelled just to open my mouth and witness. Right away, that happened. And I said, you know what is the amazing thing? <sighs> I didn't want it to come. I was tired. God reminded me of my devotion to him first so that I can, you know, because I didn't want it to come. I wanted to stay with my wife and my kids. I was just tired. 
And it says, it's interesting what God does just to give us perspective. If we're willing to do what he's calling us to do. Now, that is how it looked there. And again, when you read a description like the one that we just read this morning, it's easy for us to relate and believe that something like this can only happen in places like that, where there is no church, where the believers are being persecuted. It's really difficult sometimes to grasp that reality here in our world today. But I think also our own approach can also condition, can be conditioned to the sense of comfort that we experience here. And I think when we read something like this, when we think that these kind of you know, events only took place in Pentecost and places like that, when we read something like this, we might be saying that the Spirit only moved in those places. But here, it has to be different. Here, you know, it's different. And I guess because we cannot control that. And if that is true, if we reason like that, we should also assume that there are only believers in those places. You know, I struggle with that myself. So I'm not here judging. I mean, this is my own struggle. Because there were days when I found myself nostalgic, missing the things that I live and I witness and the way that the Spirit moved in those places. And at the same time this week, I realized that I can be missing sight of what God is doing right here among us. Let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit is not confined or devoted to a specific era or region or a group of people. The Holy Spirit is actively present right here and right now in the same way that he was actively present in the darkness, when the earth was without form and void, when creation was being called into existence, and in the same way that the Spirit was present and active with the early church. And I like what Andy said last week, the same Spirit that at a Pentecost empowered Peter also lives and is working through us today here. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And if you do, how does it look in your own life? How does the work of the Holy Spirit in your life look like? Where there is a group of committed believers gathering in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will move, will heal, and restore. Still, we must devote ourselves. We must recommit ourselves to the Lord and what he is asking from us so that we can become active agents of the gospel any place we are at. Through history, the Holy Spirit has empowered, led, and guided God's people pretty well. Can we trust him to continue guiding us today and into the new creation? And finally, let me ask you this. To who or what are you devoted and committed yourself? Something for you to think, for us to think through this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. There is no better place to be than at your feet. We are here confessing that we've been trying to act and live in our own strength, that we've been trying to live a Christian life relying on the things that we're known and familiar and that we've been disappointed and frustrated with the church and with others. We desire to live the fullness of the life you call us to, but we need to be empowered by your spirit. So in the name of Jesus, I pray that we'll be able to experience the Spirit this morning in a way that will compel us to be the witness that you call us to be. 
I pray for the church here at Calvary and in us that we can act, respond, and be like the church you are calling us to be. This morning, would you please renew our sense of devotion? Jesus, you are the one that we desire, and we need you. Please renew our hearts and our minds. And do with us according to your will. Do with us according to your will. This is not about us, but it's all about you. Please help us to seek and trust the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. Would you please speak to us this morning? We want to focus on Jesus. In the sweet name of Jesus. So I want to invite you that as you listen to this song, it's a new song that we're going to be introduced to. Pray that you will reflect in the lyrics. And I ask that you will just ask the Lord right there where you are. What is it you want to do with me? What is it you want to do with me? Just reflect in the name of Jesus. And let the Spirit to minister to you this morning.